Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. You've got questions, we've got answers. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, we're bringing real answers to help you live and love your grit and grace life. Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. I'm Darlene Brock. What's up, friends? I'm Julie Bender. Julie, are you feeling lovely today? Ooh, lovely. Sure. Loving, lovable, (laughs) love. All we need is love, right? All we need is love. Actually, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is that is the most important thing that we can have in our lives and offer from our lives. And the Bible says that, you know, there are three key things that we need, faith, hope, and love. And I feel like we really just want to focus in on what would that practically look like? We've, We've had some episodes where we're talking about how to survive this crazy chaotic existence that we find ourselves in. And we really do need those three things. But what does that practically look like? But before we do that, we have to actually kind of ridicule love, make fun of love, have a good time with love. And some of these are, you know, maybe leaning romantic, but probably not. They can apply anywhere. But these I I really liked. I love this is mine personally. I love you more than coffee, but please don't make me prove it. <laughs> so true. <laughs> it's funny. I feel like that should be like a little plaque next to your coffee maker. It should be. Yeah. Uh, I think that this is hilarious that you put this on here. Facebook should have a limit on how many times you can change your relationship status. After three changes, it should just default to unstable. <laughs> I mean, that is perfection. Yeah. There's some truth in that. Perhaps. <sighs> okay. Love amounts to withholding the truth. Really? Even when you're offered the perfect opportunity to hurt someone's feelings. That's David Sidoris. And I kind of agree with that one. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, have you ever caught yourself being like, wow, I really could have done a real zinger, but it's not, it's not going to ultimately help the relationship. Exactly. For sure. Then that means you love that person. Uh, How about this? I love you so much. I'd fight a bear for you. Well, not a grizzly bear because they have claws and not a panda bear because they know Kung Fu, but a Care Bear. I definitely fight a Care Bear for you. I think that that's pretty demonstrative of all of us at different times (laughs) in life. (laughs) Love can change a person the way a parent can change a baby, awkwardly and often with a great deal of mess. That's Lemony Snicket. Okay, that is a perfect quote. It is. How about this one from Jody Pickled? You don't love someone because they're perfect. You love them in spite of the fact that they're not. It's true. I mean, that's real love for sure. That is real love. All right. Charles Schultz, our favorite Charlie Brown drawer. All you need is love, but a little chocolate now and then doesn't hurt. For sure. As I'm still enjoying my Halloween candy because my children love me or I love them or something or other. Or you snuck what you wanted out before they sorted. 100%. I mean, there was way too much. Now that I have two kids, it's double the candy. It's perfect. Wow. Perfectly dangerous. That's great. As Julie said, we have talked about some of these things before, but I think that it's, it's worth revisiting again. And that is the combination of faith, hope, and especially love. In this world that's so chaotic and seems to be continuing to get more so, let's just kind of start with the beginning of it. And that is the anchor of everything in our lives that enables us to handle this chaotic world. And that ultimately is our faith, right? I mean, we cannot truly love in a way that matters, that counts, that 
changes people like we've talked about unless we have a deep faith in someone bigger than ourselves. Biblically, faith is considered a belief and trust in God based on evidence, but without total proof. But to take it a step further, it's complete trust or confidence in someone. And for us, it's in the God that we serve. It is. And he is a real someone that we have a relationship with. And that begins with an acknowledgement and acceptance of the sacrifice given, the one where Jesus came to this earth in human form, gave his life for us so we could join in a relationship with him. And you initiate it by accepting that, accepting he did it and he did it for you. I mean, that is literally the picture of faith when we talk about it. Um, I know for me, you know, coming to faith as a, I've said on the show, coming to faith as a teenager, you know, a few times, wasn't quite sure if it really was true yet. Or, and I think that's a picture of like a growing learning faith of like, is this really, is it really, I don't have to do anything. I put my faith in what Jesus has done for me. Really? That's it. And that gives me the, the love everlasting that I need, the life eternal that I desire Yes. I mean, that's really what the Bible teaches. If we put our faith and trust in him and confess with our mouths that we believe it to be true, then we have the saving faith. I can say my faith had a real initiating starting place when I was like in fifth grade. I was raised in the church and my parents were in a choir practice on a Thursday night or something. And I followed the pastor who was leaving his office, probably exhausted out of the building and said, I think it's time for me to meet Jesus. Mm. And he walked back in and he sat me on his knee and he led me in a prayer. For me, it was very um, decisive. Now, it was always, you know, I would always think too much. I remember reading the Bible once that said something about an unpardonable sin, and I knew whatever it was, I had done it. I was like 13 <laughs> years old. I sinned all the time. But, you know, faith sometimes has a legitimate initiating point, as in my life. Sometimes it comes with growth. Sometimes it comes with slow acceptance. But meeting that person in Jesus Christ is really the beginning of anyone's faith. And, and it ultimately is the beginning of a growing lifelong relationship, one that requires work and intentionality and time. Think about, you know, those that you love in your life, your relationship would be nothing if you spent no time with them. It's true. So we have to spend time with God in order to grow this relationship that we want with him and that we are gifted. I mean, we don't just get salvation, you know, we don't just get the solution to our sin problem, but we actually get relationship with him here and now, which is the thing that anchors us. Like we're talking about when things are chaotic and scary and fearful, this relationship is the thing that sustains us. It's true. Recently, I was reading the book of Leviticus, and if you have gone back to the book of Leviticus, it is um, a challenging read. It really is, because it talks about all of the offerings. But there was one that had never stood out to me before, and that is the thanks or grateful offering that was offered. What it consisted of was oil and flour. And actually, it was a notation in my study that said, to get oil, you had to press olives. To get flour, you had to mill the grain. So you were taking what God gave you, which was the wheat and the olives, and you were working on it to offer back to him. And I thought, what a wonderful example of, not that our faith is based on works, but that we work 
within our faith because of our relationship with Christ mm-hmm. and to offer back to him what he's given us and make it make more of it. That is such a beautiful picture of, you know, I think people who struggle with faith sometimes struggle with that idea. Like, well, what do I have to do to be considered worthy of this faith and, and maybe get caught up on that? Well, you know, God wants us to do good things for him. So is this really a loving God? But in the real picture of what our faith is meant to look like, we love him and we desire to honor him with our works because we recognize how much we didn't deserve, but how much we get from him in love and salvation. And so you're right. It's an outward picture of our love relationship back with him that our faith really moves us to work on his behalf. It's true. And it's fluid, Julie. You know that. I know that. Sometimes you feel like I have the faith of a Samson. Well, maybe not. Not him. Bad analogy. But I have, I am just rolling in faith. And then other times you think I don't have any faith at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm doubting. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, totally. But the Bible says mustard seed. Hmm. Littlest seed in the entire world. That's all you need. Hmm. So it's not like God requires you to have this portfolio of faith. He just requires a little bit. I love that. It's such a good reminder. And I actually needed to hear that for myself today too. And the truth is, is our faith is what leads us to the next thing we talk about hope. Our faith is the seed that allows us to spring up hope. And hope is the thing that truly sustains in the midst of hard times. When Jesus left this earth, he sent a helper to us, Hmm. the Holy Spirit. And that's basically to help us with everything, to prod us, to encourage us, to help us know what we're supposed to do, when we're supposed to do it, and to give us the ability to do it. It's like, you know, it's like the best partner in the entire world (laughs) that's there because they want the best of you and for you. You know, we're talking about how we need hope in times like we're experiencing now where things feel unsure. And ultimately, we have hope for the future because the Bible tells us promises upon promises upon promises. And we have the opportunity to share what God has promised us, that we do have hope for a good future for those who love God. And and although we can't fully explain what that's going to look like in the here and now, we know ultimately how it's going to work out because the scriptures say that Jesus is ultimately coming again and he's going to set all things right. And we, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to share that hope that gets us through being uncertain in the here and now. So true, Julie, and I can't imagine in today's world not having that hope because you watch the news, you look at the division, you look at the anger, the hurt, the injustice, the, the wars, the whatever. You know, I, if I didn't have a hope, I'd probably curl up in a ball, stay in my house, blockade the doors, bring my family all in one building and say, we're not leaving. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, at least emotionally, I would want to do that because I did not see positive in this world. But because of the promises we have, we can tell you there's not only promises to come, the future, the eternal future that is ours once we have a relationship with Christ, but we also have that comforter, that helper, and that help and hope in today. Yeah. And as as scary as today might be, we have to remind ourselves and train ourselves to look for the good because as much as there are evil things happening all around us, even in our own hearts and minds at times, there's also still always good. And I know when I really find myself struggling with, you know, 
not able to find hope, when I just look around and really ask God to show me where the good is and to help me to focus my mind on the good things, they really are everywhere. They're in the midst of the hard. It's it's a combination of the hard and the good together, but we put our hope in the fact that there is always still good in the midst of what is seemingly evil. Well, there is, and there are people who demonstrate that. I don't scroll through social media a lot. Obviously, I'm not that person. Um, but when I do, and I see the story of you know, the elderly couple that walked in a store together and held each other up, the guy who helped, picked up a kid on the side of the road who was walking to his job and then did arrange to get people together to buy him a car. Mm-hmm. You you know, the stories you see, just one individual or a few individuals helping someone else, it just changes your perspective. Mm-hmm. It is the today's hope that we care for one another in real practical ways. And I think part of us as people of faith, we need to be the ones who do that. Yeah. Yeah. We need to be both doing those things and then sharing those things because those little glimmers of hope could be the thing that draws somebody out of literal darkness into recognizing that God is there for them. God is working and God is ultimately worthy of trust, faith, hope, and is the true source of love. So faith, we establish that hope, we have it in our faith. It should lead us to an outgrowth of love. I think there's a lot of talk about, you know, everyone needs love. Love is love. How is this different? How is us saying what we ultimately need is love? How is that message specific to us in this season, in this show? You know, what do, what do we think this looks like for us as women of a godly biblical faith? What does that look like? Mm. I think we have to look to our example of love, and that is the God we serve and how he sacrificially gave his life for us, completely unworthy, Mm -hmm. completely lost, and often in complete denial of him. But nevertheless, he looked at us with eyes of compassion, willing to suffer what he did for our sake. So That to me is the core of love. So what does that mean? That means that we take love in an action way, Mm -hmm. that we walk our lives into helping and caring for other people. The Bible says there's faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Here's why. It covers every problem. It covers every doubt. It covers every uncertainty. It actually covers inadequacy. It It's like it slathers us, protecting us from, and the ability for us not to even have some of the weaknesses, some of the inadequacies, some of the hurt that we experience in life. That love that God gives us and that we can give to one another kind of diffuses all of the pain and replaces it with something valuable. Yeah. And the Bible literally says that we should be the first ones to love. It says that we're, we are to love because he first loved us. You know, we, we are to love our faith community, even though sitting next to us in our, you know, church seat or, you know, across, across the country of people who share our faith are people that we maybe don't necessarily like, but we're still called to love them and to represent God together because, Every family has some level of dysfunction, and that's even true among, you know, God's family. If you read through the 
books of the Bible. Not all of the heroes of our faith, you know, were that likable at times, but we are to stick together as the family of God, showing love and loving one another, and then loving those even outside of the faith as a way of showing who God ultimately is, loving unconditionally. Well, and realizing we might be that irritating sibling. <laughs> you know, we may be the one that bothers people or says things wrong. Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm wrong. It's not. We may. We will be. We will <laughs> At be times that person for sure. sometimes. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we want to be loved as much as we want to love. And part of that is overlooking our differences. Hmm. Because we're not monolithic. Yeah. We have not come in the same size, the same color, the same personality, the same gifts, the same traits. We're very uniquely made. And sometimes we don't understand one another because we're so different or we view things differently. But that needs to be put aside if we're truly to love one another as the family of God. Yeah, we have to purposefully overlook our differences and focus on the things that bring us together, which is our shared faith, our enduring hope, our call to love. I mean, we, we put the differences aside because ultimately they don't matter. The people we love the very most in our lives, they still annoy us with their differences, <laughs> right? And so yes. we're expected to show that same kind of love outside of you know our four walls of people that we're supposed to be loving so easily. And we'll find that we need to forgive, but we also need to be forgiven. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. A lot. Every day. A lot. Every a day. Times a day. But the reality <laughs> is we're all we've got. We're one family and we need to um, recognize that and kind of like each other. <laughs> yep. Love your neighbor. Like all of the neighbors or like well, the neighbors in faith? Who I, do we mean here? Yeah. Let's start with your neighbor neighbor. I have two. One on one side of my house that is a very organic, you know, gauzy, plants everywhere, wildflowers. Then the other is very put together. Every single thing on her body is perfectly done. Her yard is manicured. And each of them will pine about the other to me. I'm Switzerland. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, they don't understand how crazy you grow your things. You don't understand how manicured she is. But the reality is I like them both. Mm -hmm. I like them both. They're very unique. They're very themselves. And so, you know, I have to step out in my yard and go, okay, I want to spend time with you because you're right here. Yeah. I want to talk to you. I want to hear about your butterfly plant or I want to hear about your manicured tree, you know, because you are my literal neighbor and I need to show interest in your life. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's definitely a way of being... God's agent, right? To, to engage with those around us. And he put us specifically where we are. Our neighbor is, you know, like you said, right next to you, or it's that coworker, it's your cousin that maybe you don't genuinely like, but uh -huh. you're in that person's life for a God-given reason. And we have the opportunity and the responsibility to show love to those that we find ourselves positioned right up against, because there are no coincidences when it comes to that. So we, at times, may be put right in the position to show love in a very tangible, real way to someone who desperately needs it, either to grow their faith or to help them to find faith. Well, and as we're doing that, it's not ours to make them change or to create change in them. Hmm. We're not the ones that are supposed to fix whatever we think, and I say we think, may not be right because we may be wrong. It's not that we should expect them to be alike. They're not, again, uniquely made by the God we serve. So... Let's embrace their uniqueness and not try to make them different. Mm. 
Ooh, that's hard though, right? It's very hard. Yeah. Okay. Good reminder. Good reminder. (laughs) And and, okay. So we're talking about our neighbors right next to us or in our lives, wherever God has strategically placed us. But let's also remember that neighbor in the biblical sense is everybody everywhere. (laughs) Yes. We're actually supposed to call, we're, we're literally called to love everybody everywhere. Yes. With God's biblical example of love, we are absolutely called to that. And he empowers us. Remember, he empowers us through the spirit who lives within us. And he guides us on what that's to look like day in and day out. But he does call us to it and expect us to do that on his behalf. Well, and it's generally, generally easy to love those who love us. Sometimes not. But for the most part, it's a much easier relationship to build. But that's not all we're supposed to love. In fact, we're called to love our enemies. Okay. Not just people we don't like, but people who don't like us, Mm. who we are diametrically different places in life and either don't like each other or they do want to create harm. And that's when the rubber meets the road, right? When, when we recognize that we've got a literal enemy in our life for whatever reason, or, you know, we, we recognize a stark contrast or difference between someone and yet we're still called to show love to them. And, and at times they're not interested and they mock us for it, but God still calls us to do that. You know, I think it will become increasingly true in America that if we stand for our faith there will be more people who don't like us for it. I think we've had it pretty cushy in this this country, and it's going to change. It has changed some, and it will continue to. Um, but that doesn't matter. It really doesn't, because the people who may become our enemies because of our faith are also people that God wants to reach and love and have a relationship with. And so... In that time, in that change that inevitably, I believe, will come, we need to remember to love them. Yeah. Well, and I think the the best marker of this, the best example of this is Jesus himself, right? I mean, he literally was hated by so many, mocked by so many, misunderstood by so many, and yet never did an unloving thing, even to those who were persecuting him and ultimately those who wrongfully accused him and killed him. You know, he also surrounded himself with 12 men and several women that he lived life with. And if you look at each of the personalities, every personality is different. If you look at the backgrounds the history of their lives, it's entirely different. The economic, the education, the workplace, every single one of those people was extremely unique. Mm. And he loved them equally. Mm. He put them all together in a group, and I can't imagine what kind of bickering went on, but I'm sure there was some, we Mm -hmm. read of some, and there was probably more that didn't make it to the, the pages of the Bible. But there was no distinction between any of them in God's eyes. Well, there's a challenge, but also a motivation, right? It can be done. It should be done. We are empowered to do those things, and we need conversations and reminders like this to keep us desiring to do the things that we know God wants us to do and that bring God glory in the midst of a day and age where people are scared, people are confused, people are lacking faith, hope, and love. True. 
you know, that old song, I don't know if you remember, what the world needs now is love, sweet love, keeps going through my head. It's really cheesy, actually. And I don't think it's exactly what we mean in that. But the truth is, that's reality. I think now more than ever with the epidemic of loneliness, the the rise of drug addiction, the just the hurt that is going on in our world, that there's nothing that can meet people where they are that is any better or more effective than just love. I love this quote that you included here from Ellie Weissel. It says, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And I think it's a, a good reminder that love is active and it stands against hurt and harm. It chooses to go toward the person in need with love and, and intention. Which, you know, I guess it bears repeating from a previous episode what love is. The uh, text from 1 Corinthians 13 that is so poignant and, and profound. So I'm going to read it again. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Mm -hmm. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Amen. I mean, the truth is, is we can offer this kind of love, even in the face of those who don't love us or don't like us or want to destroy us, because this is what God has called us to and will empower us to do. So I would challenge me and the rest of us (laughs) to look across the church, to look around at our family and say, I love you. We may be different. We may actually have some differences in our theology as long as we serve the same God and have accepted the same Savior. The rest of the stuff should be put aside. So can I look at them and say, I have your back. I will defend you. I will support you. I will encourage you. I will love you. And I hope you'll do the same with me. Yeah. I mean, imagine what kind of effect that would have on the world that is watching to see how the church responds in this time, specifically in this day and age. As we seek to live in this world, we need to hold on to these three. Faith that we know that the God who gave his very life for us has not abandoned us or the world in which we live. And then hope. The hope we have is in the promise of the future, that there will be a day when all tears will be dried and all pain will be gone. And love, the one thing that will last. When this world ends, faith will become sight, hope will be fulfilled, but love will not only be now, but also forever. I think this Bible verse is really appropriate to end this one. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love overflows for you. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. Be sure to check the show notes for more articles that will inspire your faith, hope, and love. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. Make sure you've subscribed and rated and reviewed the show so more friends can find us. You can also share about this episode on your social media or send it to a friend you think it could help. You can find everything we talked about in this episode on our website, gritandgracelife.com, where you'll also find plenty of other articles from other women answering questions you may have.